Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A quick note before we start today's episode, you might notice that this recording sounds a little bit different. That's because it was all organised, edited and produced by my guest today, who even edited in this extra little bit after I asked him to. So a massive thanks to Shang Yu for being a guest and for basically doing everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another podcast of Discover North Korea. I am Zoe from Zoe Discovers, and today I am joined by a very special guest. Um, I'm going to introduce him very shortly. He's currently sitting next to me waiting to open our soju bottle and uh, cans of beer. But firstly, I want to thank you all for coming back to another episode. Um, thank you for uh, listening and um, and following the podcast as uh, um, as we're still into, I guess, its um, its first few episodes. So I really appreciate you all coming back. And just a little bit of a reminder, I am not just on podcast form. I am in... Um, I'm also on various social medias and you can find me generally on the handles of at Zoe Discovers or at Zoe Discovers NK on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and also YouTube where I make lots of vlogs on North Korea and also Taiwan where I am currently and where we are currently, I should say, in Tainan, where we actually have just been enjoying for the past, I don't know, six or seven hours the... Um, lovely sights of Tainan during Chinese New Year, because that's when we're recording this podcast. It's going to be coming out probably a few weeks after. But nevertheless, um, we've been having some fun and I've already had um, and are already, I guess, a couple of beers in. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to our guest, Shang Yu. Maybe you can introduce yourself, uh, let the listeners know who you are and uh, why you're on this podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Xiang Yu, and I like to think of myself as just some guy on the internet where I share information and opinions on topics that I'm passionate about. And some of those topics include, of course, 
North Korea, but also cross-strait relations between Taiwan and mainland China, Taiwan's history and politics, and um, Sino-U.S. relations, especially during a time when we are departing from a unipolar world order and headed towards the era of multipolarity. Um, some of you might know me as the guy who recorded a selfie stick music video in North Korea a few years ago. And um, a few years ago, I came across Zoe online because YouTube's algorithm determined that I'd possibly be interested in her content because I consumed quite a bit of North Korea-related media. And eventually, we started talking a little, so... That's how we linked up. And then last year, she said she'd be pursuing her PhD at National Chenggong University, located in southern Taiwan's Tainan City, which happens to be my mom's hometown. It's where I spent a good chunk of my childhood and where many of my relatives live. So naturally, I visit the city somewhat regularly. So the last time I visited, I reached out to Zoe to meet up. And we found that we got along quite well. And... Apparently, I have some interesting things to say about my understanding and travels to the DPRK and how they tie in with some of my family history. So here I am. Yeah, definitely. I'm super excited. And we do have a little bit of things to focus on. I mean, I guess you touched upon the fact that you like recorded a music video in North Korea. That's something that like very few people can say. Um, I think you also have a really like unique insight into the country. So um, we do have a few focus points that will keep us um, yeah, focused on the task at hand. But firstly, actually, the most important thing we need to do is um, should we crack these beers open and yes. make ourselves some somek? Yes. Um, excellent. Yeah, you do that. <laughs> That's always a good sound. Based. Okay, and aside from the soju, so mech kind of combo, we also have, I kind of brought along some, I don't know, you guys might have seen it. I recently made um, a kind of video, unpacking video, where I basically got hold of all of the stuff that I have collected in North Korea, like working for like three years in North Korea. It was all in Beijing. It has been in Beijing since the start of COVID. Um, and I recently got it sent all the way to Taiwan. Um, I say all the way, it's just over the water, um, to Taiwan. And in there were some very interesting items, one of which we will be um, maybe enjoying, maybe regretting today. We still haven't really worked out what it is, um, but it is a, I mean, have a look. <laughs> I really, <laughs> it, it looks like honey. It smells like alcohol. It doesn't say it has any alcohol content, but I mean, I don't know. Did you give it a smell? You can open it because I already opened it. It just says, um, Kaesong Koryo Insam, which is like, um, Korean ginseng from Kaesong City. Maybe it is just ginseng. Maybe that's where I'm getting this weird smell from. What do you think? It's like this honey made from ginseng. Is it? Yeah. Is there no alcohol in there? Because it looks like, obviously you guys don't have a visual here. Um, it looks like a cough syrup is the best way I can describe it, but also kind of like honey. Like it's really thick, it's syrupy, and the label looks like like it's yellow and brown and it looks like honeycomb. Maybe oh, if me. we mix it with Sprite and put in a few Jolly Ranchers, it'll be Korean lean. <laughs> to try that oh and i mean i know this is a podcast but i do actually have two other things to get us into this mood i haven't told you about these yet um so hold on whilst i get this out of my bag i'll have to take a picture and post it on social media so you guys can see what's going on but okay let me try it's ginseng is it just ginseng but it's like kind of sweet it has the consistency of honey so i can but there's understand. no alcohol in it that's really disappointing no it doesn't have alcohol oh. in it but there's a family mart right next to us so if we feel okay, if we like run we out of soju yeah 
Okay, well, you can feel free to keep this ginseng here. Do you want to um, get a sip of this, the only Please. 18 days first, before we mix it with anything else? I would really love a sip of only 18 days. Does this mean that it's, like, just brewed 18 days ago? It only... Oh, I know what it means. It means that it only stays, um, like, not... Like, you can only drink it 18 days after it's been bottled because it hasn't been pasteurized. Is that a thing? Because that's like the so. North Korean beer, like you can only drink it like a few days after. Um, well, it actually tastes better than like um, the Jinpai, or what is it, the Golden Medal and like the classic Taiwan beer. Yeah, no, no. It's definitely better, right? I'm not sure. It just tastes like Chinese beer, to be honest. <laughs> Want to try some of the, um, the, the citron-flavored soju? I always want to try some soju. Um, okay, and so these ones, this is for you. Oh my gosh, they've got glitter on from oh, my wow. joggery. Um, this one's for you, and I'll also wear this one, but you can keep this one. This is now yours. Oh, wow. This is my gift to you for being on my podcast. um, So this is basically um, a North Korean cap. Basically, how would you describe this? Does it fit? Is it it's, okay? Oh, it it's more or less fits. My head's a little bit you. big. <laughs> well, I guess I could kind of pass as a Korean, but a little bit more, a little bit better than you could. I would say. Yeah, I Just a little how, bit. how do I look in that? It's drip. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so these are basically, uh, I guess, how would you describe these? The most typical, stereotypical North Korean hats that you could have, like the ones that kind of look like army caps, but so, not really. Yeah, sometimes I have a star on the front, but um, I mean, these were bought in the market in Rason, right in the northeast, and so these are like suit. Like this is what the North Koreans will be wearing, and they have been in my suitcase. For a long time, so I thought of no better place than um, on top of your head. Apparently, yeah. you would see some um, <laughs> factory workers and farm workers wearing these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You kind of see them everywhere, but yeah. they, to be honest, they don't have much function because they don't do much in keeping your head warm. And yeah, I don't know. I love the Chinese inside them actually. Fu shi. What does yours say? Mine says the same. Oh, okay. okay well, let's there see you go. if yours is. They're the same size. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll keep it on for the spirit of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So now we've got our soju. We've got our Korean caps on. Um, we have Korean ginseng. And we also have some um, some telpi, some dried fish. How do you call it? When I was in Rasan, they called it Myeongtae. Myeongtae. Okay, okay. Ah, that makes sense. Uh, Myeongtae. So this is like, I mean, actually the setup, it really reminds me of a North Korean train journey. Like, I feel like we could be trolling along the way to through Sinuiju all the way through to Pyongyang because we've got our beer, we've got our soju and uh, and now we've got our, our telpi which is something that you really would find the North Koreans eat all the time and drink all the time indeed especially on the train um, as you are traveling through North Korea. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do actually to, to kind of um, chat to the North Koreans on the train. I think it's the nicest introduction to, to North Korea because people really start to see, hey, the society is, um, it's actually, these are, people are real. Um, but do you want to talk about your, I mean, I spoke way back um, a few episodes on my first trip to North Korea. Like, you've been to North Korea before. Yes, um, I have. Do you want to chat to us about, like, kind of what was your experience? Where did you go? And yeah, what was that like? So fun fact, um, Zoe and I were actually in North Korea at the same time. And we were actually um, both in the Mayday Stadium on the same day with um, Grand Marshal Kim Jong-un um, present as well. Yeah. So the last time we met up, um, I told her, I was like, this is the first time we're in the same building together without Kim Jong-un. <laughs> 
And yeah, just to be fair, like that was the second time we'd only ever meet up. It's not as if Kim Jong-un is there every single time we meet up. It just so happened that the only time we'd been in the room together, Marshall Kim Jong-un was also there. But neither of us were aware of each other's existence back then. Yeah. So it was kind of a small world. <laughs> small, small world when you work in North Korea and... Hang out with Kim Jong-un, apparently. No, we did not hang out with Kim Jong-un because I don't want the CIA coming and talking to me because <laughs> if either sorry, of us sorry, ever sorry. meet him, we better keep it a secret. True. And so, hey, actually, it, it makes it a... Um, that's a good point because... So you're Taiwanese-American. Yes. So Americans can't visit North Korea. Yes. Right. So does that, um, you know, how... Does that bode for how you got into North Korea and stuff like that? Like, was it difficult for you? And how does your family feel and your friends in the U.S.? Maybe you can speak from the point of a U.S. citizen. Um, so if you look at the wording of the travel ban, it's not a ban on U.S. citizens to go to the DPRK. Um, and by the way, this ban is unilateral. It's a ban by the U.S. government, not um, the DPRK authorities. But the ban is not on citizens. It's a ban on U.S. citizens traveling on a U.S. passport to the DPRK. You see the wording here. So by traveling on my um, Taiwan passport to North Korea, I wasn't violating any law. My family, um, I guess my mom just knew she couldn't stop me. (laughs) My dad was just like, whatever. (laughs) Sounds really similar to my experience. Yeah. um, My grandma, so my maternal grandmother was like, I probably shouldn't go there because, like, I saw this and that on the news, and it's dangerous. But, you know, a lot of my friends thought I was crazy, but I also have a lot of friends who are fascinated and were kind of um, kind of jealous because, like, I have some friends who are, like, U.S. citizens who want to go but can't go, so they were kind of envious. Hmm. Yeah, um, overall, it was um, even the people who, were, who kind of thought I was crazy were still curious about it. So um, I traveled in 2018, and I had wanted to travel there for a while. And I was living in Taiwan um, at the time. So I was there from 2017 to 2019. And then now I'm back here for at least a year. So I was like, well, I kind of want to go. And my dad's also living in Beijing. So mm-hmm. I figured if I visit him, then I would want to t- go on a train and travel to North Korea. And my original plan was to travel with a Chinese tour company because, um, you know, um, Taiwan residents, we go to the mainland, we use um, the, the travel pass for Taiwan compatriots to the mainland. So um, we are legally um, PRC citizens as, as far as Beijing is concerned, which means I can travel on a Chinese tour company and go to North Korea that way if I wanted to. But it happened to be um, the tour I booked was um, national, like it, it was national week. So like national day on September 9th, the founding of the DPRK. And I think, if I understand correctly, they wanted to give everyone a fair chance to have the opportunity to travel to the DPRK. So I think they had like a, like a limit on how many Chinese people could go. Yeah. So instead of traveling with a Chinese tour company, because they are a little bit cheaper, I in- instead went with a company that targets Western tourists. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, that's true, actually. That, and that's a really good point. Like, um, two points, actually. So the first one is like, there are um, two different kinds of companies that take tours into North Korea. And whilst the one that you, at least my listeners might have heard about the most is like these Western tour companies that take in the Westerners, right? And that limits, you know, that has a limit of like a few thousand tourists every year at best. But there's actually a much bigger tourism market 
And that is with the Chinese tour groups that go into North Korea. And there is actually so many Chinese tour groups that, you know, um, as you just mentioned, like they have to be limited, especially during these peak times, um, which is generally during the summer, during national holidays, um, especially national holidays that coincide with holidays in China as well. These big holidays, for example, National Day, they do limit Chinese tourists um, so that everyone kind of gets a fair chance as well. And also just because the DPRK has limited tourism infrastructure, it does not have enough hotel rooms. Um, despite what you might think, like there is not just one hotel that you can stay in. Um, actually, you stayed in a really interesting um, area in, in, um, in Pyongyang that we'll talk about in a minute. But um, it's not just this one hotel on the island um, that everyone knows, Yangagdo Hotel. Actually, there's, you know, there's at least 10 in Pyongyang. I think I've personally stayed in about five or six of them. I'm going to try to name some of them. So, Yangakdo, mm. Sosam, yeah. Koryo, mm. Chongyun. Yeah. Uh, I, that's not its official name, I don't think, but the, it is the one where all the Chongyun uh, stay in. No, I, I wasn't saying um, Chongyun. I was oh, saying Chongyun. Chongyun. Oh, Chongyun. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the ones I know. So, you didn't say my favorite one, which is, um, honestly, I have to check the name of this, which is um, the one that is in central Pyongyang, and it's super cool. It's right next to the um, Ryodong Shimbun. I think it's called Heisan, Hyangsan, Heisan. Um, You've been there 30 times. I, <laughs> you should know. Actually, to be honest, I made this super cool thing that, like, I don't want to do, like, you know, too much promotion on here, but, like, I did make this really cool um, travel guides thing on um, on Corriotos' website, and you can basically go onto the website and search the, the travel guides, and then just click into North Korea, and you can actually search, like, all of the hotels throughout the whole of North Korea. Um, so, you know, there is an, not just Young Acto. Um, but basically what I was saying is, like, um, you know, they, they need to limit the Chinese tourists because, like, sometimes there's literally just not enough beds available. So the places that you missed off, there's the Rakrang Hotel, mm-hmm. Which is not that interesting. There's the Ryangang Hotel. Oh, wait, no. Ryangang Hotel is not interesting. Rakrang Hotel, I stayed in once and I got given a suite. And I love this hotel. Um, It's actually a military hotel. The military stay there. Um, I don't know why I was allowed to stay there once, but it was the coolest thing. And I ask for it every single time I go back. I've never once got it, but I really love it because it's right on the banks of the Taedonggang River. You can actually go to the barbecue restaurant that's just outside of here. Um, and you can go there just to have barbecue. It's such a cool vibe. Um, but I love staying here. It was really retro. Koryo Hotel, you said that one. There's the Kobangsan Hotel. I don't think I've ever stayed there. Morambong Hotel. There's the Youth Hotel. The uh, Youth Hotel is the Chongyun Hotel. Oh, yeah. that's right. Okay, yeah. Uh, oh, Qingnian. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay, okay. Um, oh, you didn't say uh, the most expensive hotel. I heard about it. I forgot the, the name. The super luxury one, Potonggang. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the Potonggang River. And then... Hebangsan. That's what I was trying to say before. Mm-hmm. Hebangsan. Um, I've only stayed there once. And again, it's um, it's a super quirky hotel. It's right in the middle of Pyongyang, like literally central, central. Um, and it's in a really politically sensitive area because it's right next to like the, you know, uh, newspaper and some sensitive areas. So it's a quirky place to stay. But, you know, that's just a short list of the hotels in Pyongyang. And then obviously there are way more throughout the country. But the place where you stayed in Pyongyang is not actually on this list. Where did you stay in Pyongyang? I stayed at what they call the living quarters for visiting scientists. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's um in there is this one building called the um SciTech complex. It's that building that is in the shape of an atom if you look at it from an aerial view. 
and the place where I stayed is connected to that. In most pictures, it'll be on the top right of the picture. It's like a little tower. And that's where, I guess, scientists from all throughout the country and abroad go and stay. And because they ran out of hotels because it was um, the week of National Day, my tour group ended up being put over there. And it was pretty nice. It's entirely powered by green energy. Um, That's geothermal. so cool. That's yeah, so interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Geothermal and um, solar. Wow. Combination of the two. Because you do see like a load of solar panels all throughout the DPRK. So that's really interesting yeah. that you like experienced that. Did they have any power outages? No, not when I was there. Wow. Okay. Did you have like rooms or was it like, a, a, you know, a suite with like a kitchen? Like it sounds like it's more of like a living area, right? Or like, was it like a hotel? Or, or My hotel room was over there. It was kind of like this one right right here yeah we're currently filming in a hotel room uh not filming recording in a hotel room. yeah 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 yeah. and um yeah it was pretty much like a pretty much like a hotel but there were these um like lounge areas on each floor that kind of remind me of um like student lounges and um, college dormitories oh they have that in a lot of the floors actually like in the young and Uh stuff actually there's this really funny video um that one of the um it's one of those really famous Dumb, and I'm sorry to say the word dumb, but it is a really dumb vlog. Um, it's one of those really clickbaity vlogs that's like, you know, ah, oh, North Korea is crazy. I went on a trip there, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's this guy in it. Um, this one went super viral, actually. So, you know, I say it's dumb, but it's it's actually really frustrating that things like this go super viral. But because there's this, um, this guy goes to North Korea and makes this vlog. And then um, I remember my co- my colleague actually took him in. My colleague was telling me about it and like he literally went to one of these corridors. So in a lot of North Korean hotels, they have corridors where they have like seats in them. And it's really random because no one ever wants to sit in like a floor corridor. Like, you know, it's just a bit weird. I don't know. Um, and they have ashtrays there and stuff. But like in reality, it's not a really cool place to hang out. And often the lights are off and stuff like that. And anyway, this guy was walking around this corridor and was trying to make North Korea sound like really scary and stuff so he was going around these areas where no one was because they're not cool areas to hang out in and turning off the lights and sitting in the corner and being like yo the lights are off there's no one around like stuff like this and this video gets really famous and this is what like people believe about North Korea but in reality like no one sits in these areas because they're not cool like I find these like floor you know these floor areas with like this random sofas and ashtrays and stuff like that really strange like (laughs) my question is where isn't there an ashtray in North oh Korea. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good question. They they take the um, the no smoking indoors thing to a um, I don't, I mean, what did you say before? It's a, uh, it's a... It's a suggestion. Mm. Yeah, suggestion not a rule. <laughs> Which um, kind of brings, it kind of reminds me because you were talking about those sensational videos and mm. um, when Kim Jong-il passed away, mm. I guess it was on the news all the time and we saw all the video footage of the people, the um, residents of Pyongyang like crying in front of the statues and um, paying their respects and being all um, solemn. And the Western media was like, oh, they're all just a bunch of brainwashed drones. And then at the same time, they would they came out with a bunch of videos of like how um, absolutely um, dystopian and messed up and North Korea is how up is down over there and left is right and black is white and just really scary. And then there, were, there was that book, um, I forgot the name of the author i think it was barbara i forgot her last name i think it's barbara it's called nothing to envy mm. and there, there was just i read the book and there were like some so many claims that i was like this can't all be true 
So I kind of like brought it up with my dad because my dad grew up in South Korea as um part of the um Hwagyo Hwagyo Hwachao, which um, means um like overseas Chinese in Korea. And um he told me he was just like you know um don't believe absolutely everything because your grandfather told me that during the Korean War when the um the Korean People's Army captured Seoul, they treated the residents with respect. And my grandfather wasn't really political. He wasn't like some sort of communist sympathizer or anything. He was just some guy trying to get by. And he told my dad that, hey, um, the KPA treated the residents of Seoul with respect while it was the um, the U.S. forces that were there that were kind of being just really invasive and acting like an occupying force. Hmm. And that's that's not what the media tells us. So he was like, just take everything with a grain of salt and... Um, don't believe anything until you actually see it and decide for yourself. Mm. It's a really good lesson. And I think it's really important. Like when we talk about North Korea tourism, it's one of those things that like, I really believe, you know, it holds a lot of value going to visit North Korea and really seeing these things for yourselves. But would you say that like, this is one of those things that inspired you to go on your trip to North Korea? Like, why did you decide to go? Like what sparked the interest in North Korea? There was this, and there was also the idea that, um, North Korea, a lot of the issues that they face are the result of, there's various ones, but one of them is sanctions. But at some point, I mean, you look at the, you, you look at countries like, um, you know, like you look at Vietnam, you look at mainland China. At a certain point of his, in history, the way they were portrayed in Western media was pretty similar to the way North Korea is portrayed today. Mainland China today, you go to like Beijing today, you go to like Chongqing today, you go to um, like Shanghai today. It's not going to, it's not the same like Shanghai that people spoke of in like the 60s and 70s where everything was um for lack of a better term like different world you know and i real and i figured at some point north korea is going to change one way or another all countries do and i wanted to see it the way it is now because mm. it's going to be different in 10 years 20 years because i mean it was different 30 40 years ago i mean yeah. every every few years it, there, there's plenty of changes yeah. like and if you went in like 2008 for example they would take your phone yeah and totally different keep it at the airport until you left the country mm-hmm. you know these things these sorts of things i feel like if i go again today because the last time i went was in 2019 to um if I went again today, there there will probably be many things that are different. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited to see, like, what kind of things... I mean, I'm excited, but at the same time, I'll be sad to see what kind of things will be different. Because, like, you know, it's one thing when a country changes and you're kind of going in and out. You know, it's the same when anything changes. When something changes and you're a part of it, you don't notice that change until you kind of look back. But I don't know. For me, like, and I suppose for you as well, like, it will be sad, like in a way, kind of going back and seeing all these things that have changed. But, you know, if it's good change, then obviously it's a great thing. Um, And I think, um, you know, a lot of people uh, will say like, oh my gosh, you know, there's so many cars in North Korea now, like it's such a shame. And I'm like, it's not a shame, like let them develop, you know, like (laughs) they want to develop. These changes are good, Um, even if, you know, for us, it makes it more kind of, I don't know, normal, like it's developing like a normal country. Deng Xiaoping once said, Pauperism is not socialism. (laughs) Everybody wants their country to become more prosperous and for people to have better standards of living. Yeah. So it's like the way some people fantasize like North Korea saying, oh, I I like it because it's so like um, quaint and there's, they have like these 
old cars and there's no cars, there's no this and that. Lack of a, they're basically saying there's um, less development. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's like, okay, you're not living there. Wouldn't you want like more conveniences? Wouldn't you want better living standards? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, like to, to fantasize about these things, like going to North Korea because you want to see like what life is like in the past and you want to see like kind of all of this, this backwards things like, you know, that's not cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> and the, the country also does not want to be like that forever. Like, they are looking to develop, and they do develop. It's just going a little bit slower than what we might, you know, experience in the West. But also not as slow as other countries. Oh, that, definitely. You know, there are so many other countries where, like, I mean, North Korea is super paranoid, and they don't want to like show these aspects of po- poverty and stuff like that. But for I don't know, for someone like me who's you know traveled to a few countries, right? Like you see a lot more poverty in, like, various other countries. And not just because, like, they let you see it and they show it more. It's, like, just because they're poorer. You know, there, there are countries that are poorer and less developed than North Korea. You go to any country, um, locals generally don't want foreigners taking pictures of poverty because it can feel humiliating, especially if the visitor appears to be wealthier. And you'll find that Koreans, both Northerners and Southerners, really care about their presentation and want to show their best to guests. The only difference is North Korea exercises more sovereignty than most developing countries and has greater control over their visitors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're a foreigner and you're not like a businessman or a student or if you're just a tourist, you need to be with um, you know, babysitters essentially. How did you find that? Like was it your first time going on a guided tour or was it your you know do you often go on guided tours when you travel and like did you find it restricted your freedom? I mean especially from the view of a US citizen that like you know you guys like your freedom. Well I mean if you travel to any country where you don't speak the language you're gonna need people to help you out Hmm. and um like my Korean is not very good. (laughs) <laughs> um, I've traveled on guided tours before, like as a kid, like traveling with family a few times. Not too often, but I mean, it's, I, I feel like it's a comparable experience. It's nothing too out of the ordinary as far as guided tours go. For example, one example I like to bring is they're like, well, they're only showing you the things they want you to see. You're not seeing like the, the bad things. I'm like, okay, well, you know, if you're a tourist and you go to Bali, a lot mm. of foreigners who go to Bali, what do they see? They see the airport. They see the roads between the airport and the high-end resort they're staying at and nothing else. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I mean, even as somebody who's like lived in um, Taiwan in the U.S., it's like I've never visited like maximum security prisons and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could if I wanted to. Just I, I couldn't just roll up to a prison and be like, go show me around. I want to see what the solitary confinement rooms are like. I want to see... You know? Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, I mean, I spoke about it on um, the episode on, like, ethical travel to North Korea. But, like, you know, in terms of ethical travel, people have a lot of beef with it. And, like, when you talk about travel to North Korea, but, like, is travel to, like prison camps and stuff like that ethical like at what point do you draw the line between ethical travel because like it's not cool to go around taking pictures of poverty and stuff like that wherever you go so yeah there's there's that kind of line to draw but yeah it's interesting that you didn't really mind I mean I suppose when you sign up to a tour to North Korea you kind of sign up to the fact that you're going to be walked around by guides but did you did you find it so strict or? I didn't really find it strict. I got along with my guides. Um, part of it is, hey, they're there doing their job. They have their, the guides have their own insight. They're, the guides' insights are probably a little bit different from the insights of the average citizen. I mean, just like people in different professions will see things differently. And every guide has 
his or her own story. Like my guide, one of my guides, um, uh, Mr. Che, he's a son of, son of a diplomat. So he lived in Cambodia in his, I think during his teenage years for a few years. That's very different from another guide who um, stayed in Switzerland in her youth. That, that was another tour guide in another tour group, but our two groups traveled together. So she was kind of our guide. But like our other guide that we had, um, Miss Rowe, I believe she was, she's the daughter of um, professors. So all of them come from different backgrounds. They all have um, different attitudes towards different things. And they're just, they're just people, you know, just like in any country you go to, um, you meet people from different family backgrounds and different professions or whatever. You're going to encounter a diverse diversity of views. And it's the same thing over there. Mm, definitely. And I think the best way to find out about North Korea is by doing exactly what we are now, is um, enjoying a beer and a soju in the evening. You know, did you have any interesting conversations with your guides in, in any of the bars in North Korea? Oh, yeah. Um, quite a few. Um, on the last day, one of my guys, we were drinking and um, I think we drank quite a bit. And he started telling me the, about the tourists that he liked and didn't like. That was kind of funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. Did you share the same opinion? Did you have a, like, a, a gossip about tourists that you didn't like? I, I didn't dislike the guy who he didn't like. In fact, I'm kind of friends with him, but I understand why the guides didn't like him. He was like, ah, oh, too much trouble. I don't like him. But... You're cool. Most of the other people are cool. They're one of the best groups I've had in a while. You know what? I bet he says that to everyone, as in, like, uh, the next person that he speaks with, too. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, that Shang Yu guy, like, he's really causing trouble. Like, <laughs> I didn't get spoken to by the higher ups. Like, that problem, Ooh. that that problem tourist. Oh, so you had some trouble on tour. What what happened? I was just, um, I think, um, you know, you, the rules are simple. You stay with your tour group. You don't just wander off. We were visiting the Pyongyang Metro and one of the tourists decided that, well, his story is that it was an accident and he just got on the train thinking that we were supposed to get on. My theory is he was very into photography. I think he wanted pictures of a metro station without tourists in it. Ah, it's not so one of those things I can prove, but... So he just, like... So you guys were at the Piano Metro, and you were in one of the stops, and then he just got onto one of the metros as it came, and then just left you guys? Yes. That's and mental. Everyone was just like, yo, where is this guy? Where is he? Uh, did anyone see him get on? Or he just, like, got on? Um, I don't think people saw him get on, but what he told me was, um... I, I think... Something about him just made him stand out, apparently, okay. because he said some little kid kept on staring at him on the train. And, and then as soon as he got off the train, um, that kid went and talked and, and, and spoke to the um, the station attendant. <gasps> I mean, it's probably anything to do with like what he's wearing and stuff like that. Like, it's really easy to not fit in into North Korean society because a lot of the clothing, your hair and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it is quite like, you know, you don't want to stand out. Um, and so if you go around wearing jeans or whatever, then you are going to stand out. And maybe yeah. that kid had seen him like hanging around with the foreigners and stuff. So I mean, that person was Asian. But it was his dress and his demeanor, yeah. honestly. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, that's a that's a crazy story, but, like, I really do not recommend um, at all ever um, breaking any rules in North Korea um, or going away. I'll drink this so you can give me some more soju. 
I definitely do not recommend taking the rules too lightly in North Korea. You know, I say that it's safe and I joke that it's safer than going to some places in the UK. And that may well be very true, but that's because I understand the rules very well. And I am very willing to follow these rules. And that is the most important thing. Oh no, soju everywhere. I was supposed to put Sprite into ah. afterwards. We have quite the cocktail going take, on. Can you take... Um, oh, my gosh. It? Okay, gonna, so we have Sprite. I'm trying to make the um, proportions correct again. I put in too much okay. beer, so I'm going to pour more soju. Is there a name for this cocktail? Um, I saw it on Instagram once. I forgot the name for me. Wait, do you need to put Sprite in here, not more soju? But I'm trying to get the beer and soju... Um, oh gosh, it's strong. ...proportions correct. Can you take another sip? <gasps> and then I'll pour the Sprite in. Um... Yeah, don't break the rules in North Korea, guys. Oh my gosh, he's adding ginseng to this now. This is really a the most unique cocktail that I've ever had. In one of the most unique situations I've ever had. So, now we just mentioned kind of breaking the rules and not breaking the rules. I do actually have a whole episode on, like, what happens if you don't break the rules. I think that's episode three. So, go back and have a listen to that if you want to know what happens if you break the rules in North Korea and how strict it really is. But... As an American tourist and, you know, as a tourist in North Korea in general, did you feel safe? I felt really safe. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Anything um, Anything ever made you nervous or...? Not really. Um, if there was anything I would be nervous about, it would be if there was some sort of um, tension between the U.S. and Korea and if the U.S. did something. Mm. But because of nukes and mutually assured destruction... Full-blown attacks by either side is just not much of a possibility. So the main thing that you were concerned about your safety was actually, you know, in case, like, war broke out? I mean, that was, it's like a very far-fetched thing. It's like I didn't expect it to happen, but it's like, what else What else could happen? I mean, um, I didn't expect... I mean, I would follow the rules. I wouldn't do anything there that's just, like, foolish. You know, I respect, respect the people there, respect their sensitivities. What's the worst thing? I don't know if, if I've slipped and fell like when we we're visiting a site and fall off a bridge into a waterfall i don't know something like that that was probably the extent of my um concern i wasn't concerned about getting detained for anything because well one i am i'm not working for like any sort of government i'm, I'm there as a tourist mm. yeah fair enough um and it was this tour that you did this music video in North Korea or what on earth, you know, where did that come about? Do tell us about this music video in North Korea and more importantly, come on, bit of self-promo here, where can we see this video in North Korea? Well, it's from my last album. I'm, I'm just I have this thing where I come out with something and I'm like happy with it for a while and then I'm just like, you know, I could do better. I don't like it anymore. But that song is called um, um, I guess in English it's called Rumors and Slanders In Chinese it's called Liu Yan Fei Which um, is an idiom that is also used in Korean um, I think it's Liu Yan Bio in Korean And like the DPRK actually uses that About like the way they are demonized by the media from abroad And my perspective was just like Well, the um, not to get too political on this podcast But it's like, why can't a country that is heavily sanctioned and is in the crosshairs of a superpower a hegemony that wants to see it fall why why is it wrong for them to be paranoid and for them to be to want to have a nuclear deterrent especially when this country is the only country that's ever used um nuclear weapons on um a civilian population and it's like why do we call them like this prison land when the country with the highest rate of highest um, rate of imprisonment is not North Korea, 
but the U.S. So it's just putting these things into perspective. And um, I guess it's my way of saying, hey, um, I, and not just me, but like the people in America have more in common with the average person in North Korea than they do with their own government. Mm. And I genuinely believe that. Culturally, maybe we do not have um, too much in common, but what do we, what do we all want? We want um, a better future for ourselves, our um, children, if we do have them, our families, we care about our families. We want, we, we want our communities to do well. We don't, we don't want our communities to fall apart. We don't want our families to fall apart. Hmm. You know, that's, I think that's something that people all over the world want. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a really interesting message. Like, what kind of what kind of music can our listeners expect to hear upon um, upon searching this? What's the genre? <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's, um, it's Chinese hip-hop. I rap in Chinese. That's just something that I decided to do um, when I was when I was younger, and it just kind of stuck. And I um, accidentally developed my own following here in Taiwan, and now I'm slowly in um, mainland China as well. So it's just something that I decided to keep up with, and eventually it became this sort of hobby that pays for itself. Nice. Yeah. You hear that, folks? We got a celebrity on the podcast. There you go. This podcast just keeps giving. I think you're. The, I, I, know, I feel like I'm with a celebrity one. Absolutely not. No, like this. You're has... TikTok famous. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok famous does not count. You know, I this. You can upload a 10 second video and get millions of views, and then on Instagram, you spend hours and hours editing a video, and you end up with nothing. So, um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, this is so good with the addition of this. Yeah, it's not bad with the with the thing. Ginseng, right? yeah, yeah, with it makes the, it healthy. With the gin, yeah, yeah. Although you know what they say about ginseng in North Korea, right? What do they say about it? They say that it's um, they say it's good for men. Everything, everything's good for men over there. Like dog meat's good for men there. That's Ginseng true. Is... That's true. Yeah, they they say it. it like helps, Yang. Yeah, it helps men be powerful. So um, okay. there you go. <laughs> No more ginseng for you. So, filming a music video in North Korea, we found out about your kind of music, but what does it entail if you want to film a music video in North Korea? And where did you film it? How did you pick your backdrop? Um, Tell me more about that. Well, I wanted to film all over everywhere I visited, but for much of my trip, I actually um, ended up with an upset stomach. Oh no! So that... yeah, that happens in North Korea. I have been food poisoned in Masikryong ski resort. Awful, awful drive from Pyongyang to Masikryong for three hours in the car. Have Not you great. ever um, had um, food poisoning 
and no water shortage at the same time. No, that truly sounds very bad. That Although, happened in Hamhung. Oh no! I, I, mean, I wanted to die. <laughs> oh wait, there was a water shortage. Like you couldn't like shower or flush or what? No, we you, or water. just not drinking water. No, what they did was um, there was a water shortage. Like mm-hmm. there was only running water for a few hours a day. So what oh, the hotel yeah, staff yeah. did was like was like fill up a bucket. <gasps> but like it's different from having running water, especially yeah. when you're. Yeah, it's especially when you really need it. And um, I think I know exactly. So you stayed in, I mean, we, we kind of briefly touched on your first North Korea tour. Maybe you can take us briefly, like through where you went before we talk about your your video a little bit more. But um, I just want to mention this Hamhung bit because um, this hotel in Hamhung, it's like one of my favorite hotels. It's like literally really cool staying on the beach, um, but they do limit the water. And so basically like what you get is you get this really cool, like nice beach house. I actually have like, a whole video on it um but they give you a massive bucket and when i say massive bucket like could you get in there you could probably get into that yeah, bucket. Could, like it's I massive could. right yeah. but like someone did that and like i think that both of us could at the same time yeah but the problem is is like they keep that water warm for you they want to keep it warm for you and they keep it warm i don't know if you saw it with like with the <laughs> little stick that's plugged into the wall yeah and did he get shot yes that it's happened like, to me too. It's, oh no, you did. <laughs> but it's so obvious. It's literally a metal stick that's like in the water. And it's so obvious what it is. It's a metal stick that's plugged into the wall and they sit it right in the middle of this massive bucket that you could climb into. And yeah. You're I supposed mean. to unplug it before you take the water. <laughs> but when you're like really sick and you desperately need water, you didn't. You don't really think about it. So I just stuck my hand into the bucket and yeah, I got, I got shocked. Oh no. <laughs> that's awful. Yeah, you're not... Don't worry, you're not the first person that that's happened to. I wasn't the only person on the tour. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you said that, I knew where it was going. <laughs> but you, so you've been, okay, so you've been to Razan, Hamhung, Pyongyang. Wonsan. Wonsan. Made a stop in Kaesong, made Kaesong. a stop in Shinuizu. Uh, Shinuizu. And that's it? Basically, yeah. So I mean, I say that's it, but there's actually quite an extensive tour. I guess you were there for a couple of weeks, right? Not a couple of weeks. It was one week. like a little over a week. A little over a week. And so I guess this is one of those like, um, you know, basic tours with the Northeast added in because Rasan is a pretty, or is it like a Rasan extension? No, um, Rasan, I went um, a few months afterwards. Ah, so you've been twice. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, my... Dad lives in Beijing, so it's like, I just do it, oh, so it's yeah. like, if I visit him, I'll just, yeah. Cool. Because with Rasun, part of part of it was also just me wanting to see, um, uh, Yanbian, Yanji. Mm. Like, the, um, the, the Korean autonomous prefecture in, um, Jilin province. That's in China? Yeah. Yeah. How did you find Yanji? I mean, I find it a really interesting place. Like, everything is in both Chinese and Korean. It's incredibly culturally interesting. It's really interesting because if you take the train there from Beijing, you feel like you're kind of in Korea. But then you go back there from Korea and you just really, you can just really feel that you're back in China. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, going from Beijing to Yanji, you, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, actually. You go there and you're like, whoa, I'm in Korea. Um... But then once going to North Korea and then coming back out to Yenji and you see like the massive buildings and the the big lights and like loads of people. And I think like, you know, all those neon signs and stuff like you get that in North Korea. It's like Yenji for me. Now I think about it is like North Korea on steroids. Like it's what North Korea would probably like to be if it had a little bit more money in its economy. Like I can see that being what North Korea would become. I don't know. I could see a place like once I'm. Or like mm, Chongqing becoming true. like that yeah. in like ten years. Yeah, Wonsan could years. totally become that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Have you have, do, do you listen to music from uh, Yanji? No, but yeah, maybe really I should get into that. No, they're really good at singing. Really? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like and then like some of these classic songs. It's like they'll have like one verse in Korean and then like another in Chinese. This sounds and so fun. Like, yeah. And now when we say Koreans in China in this Chinese province, are we talking about North Koreans or South Koreans or what's the deal here? They're neither. They are Chinese citizens. Of Korean background, and they say China is one country with um, fifty six. I guess the way they say it now is um, nash is um ethnicities, mm. but like the way that that it used to be explained was fifty six um nationalities. But nowadays people confuse the word like nationality with like you know your country of origin. So yeah, and um Koreans one of the fifty five minority. Like you have Han being like the majority fifty like Koreans because like there's been a long history of Korea migration to um. China and in northeastern China in this area called um, Yanbian, it's been traditionally like populated by mostly Koreans. So yeah, they are um, they're Chinese citizens of Korean background, and they're um, they're afforded like the people there can go to schools that are taught in Korean. Like Korean is an official language in that prefecture, and if you go to that area, signage is in both Chinese and in Korean. So you could be somebody who doesn't speak Chinese at all, only speaks Korean. And, Get around there for the most part. Oh yeah, yeah, and you will hear these languages like all around, and like you know, sometimes the people look different as well, and like it's just all around a very different atmosphere from Beijing, and it's you know a kind of nice, I guess, introduction to Korean culture as well. It's kind of nice halfway point. I kind of feel at home because like so my um my dad he's um he's Chinese. Well, my grandmother is Korean, but like in South Korea he was recognized as um Chinese, like because his father was Ch- his father's Chinese, my grandfather's Chinese. So um, he grew up there, but he wasn't given Korean citizenship. But I mean, by growing up in Korea, you know, like the food he eats and all that stuff, you pick up all of that local stuff. And growing up with him, I ate, I ate a lot of Korean food growing up. For example, I was like always adjacent to Korean culture, even though I never really spoke Korean. Like Chinese was a language I was spoken at home. What's your favorite Korean food? That is hard to say. It's either between Pyongyang ramen or sundubujigae. Um, I really love sundubujigae. Yeah. But it has to be like a, spe- a specialty shop that specializes in sundubujigae. You know how it's kind of like in North Korea, all restaurants sell like Pyongyang ramen, but it's like the, the places that specialize in it are the ones that are good. Because like other places that have it, that don't specialize in it, they're kind of mid. Yeah, there are some restaurants, like, like a lot of the time in North Korea, like, when you're on a tour, you'll get the option between, like, you know, do you want um, Pyongyang Nemyeong, which is Pyongyang cold noodles, or do you want um, kimchi jjigae, or, like, you know, actually, they don't have kimchi jjigae. Um, what do they have? They have, um, oh, what's it called? Bibimbap? Yes. Um, so you have but the- uh, Northern Bibimbap has, like, that little soup thing that's, oh. like... Put into it, right? Yeah, and you know what? I had no idea that that was northern until you just said it right now, and I'm like, I've never had that in South Korea. But yeah, so anyway, you get this um, option in like North Korea if you want either um, bibimbap or pyongyang nyamyeong, um, pyongyang cold noodles, and like there are certain restaurants that specialize in it. The um, jjigae that you were just mentioning is tofu jjigae, right? And it also yeah. has seafood in it. You Some has, yeah, you, they usually have seafood, like shrimp, clams. It's so good. Or like, I like, sometimes I like it with just um, kimchi and beef. Nice. Yeah. Ooh, okay. But then that's kimchi jjigae, right? No, but it's like sunubu jjigae because like the base is still different. The like kimchi jjigae is... Oh, yeah. it's kimchi base. It's a little bit different. Okay. 
Just because you mentioned your family, I mean, I know we keep dipping between different topics, but like... They're all somehow related. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's probably... It's probably the soju influence. I hope everyone's listening to this with a a glass of wine or at least as well. Um, So tell us a little bit about your family background and like, I don't know, do you have any like historical, political or, you know, any interesting stories from like your family's history with Korea and with China? Oh, okay. So... On my father's side, my um, my grandfather was actually born in the Qing Dynasty that in 1910. The, that makes the Qing Dynasty feel, like, so present. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too long ago, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like, how many people today, like, my age, our age, can say their grandfather's from the Qing Dynasty? I mean, I certainly cannot. Yeah. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> okay, my grandfather was 50 when my dad was born. Oh, yeah. Because my, okay, my, my dad had me a little bit later because my dad was born in 1960. Oh. Yeah. And um, so. Same. My, I mean, like, my parents actually in the 60s as well. Yeah, yeah. My, um, so my grandfather was from Sandong province, which is the province where um, Qingdao beer is from. <laughs> but if you don't know Qingdao beer, it is probably the best beer in China, which, to be honest, I no offense, but it's not saying much because Chinese beer is not great. However, Qingdao is a very interesting place because it does have a lot of German influence yes. and hence the good beer, kind of. <laughs> and yeah, um, Shandong was pretty impoverished and there was this phenomenon called Chuangguandong, which describes the wave of migration from mostly Shandong province to northeastern China beginning in the latter half of the 19th century, which was the Qing Dynasty, and well into the 20th. So, like, Republican China, and also um, the era of um, Japanese encroachment on China. And whether it was under the Qing or, like, during the era of Japanese occupation, what remained the same was the fact that people from Shandong went there to seek better opportunities. So my grandfather and his older brother were were, um, part of that wave, and they were in China's northeast for a while, and then they eventually made their way down to Korea, which was then still occupied by um, Japan. And they specifically ended up in uh, Hichun City in Chagang Province, which I don't think is open to tourism today, right? Every province is open to tourism yeah. now, apart from one which is only open to Chinese tourists. But that's Chagang Province, right? That's yeah, the province. That's basically, but that's basically because they, the passport, like the customs office, don't have the ability to handle foreign passports. They only have the ability to fo- to handle Chinese passports. Um, so I guess in the future it could be open. And hey, you could go because you've got a. They still Chinese do. Passport. They still do make a difference between like, um, like. Mainlanders, Taiwanese, and Hong Kong. Oh, that's Even, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah they still true. do make some sort of differentiation. That's true. Um, so yeah, they lived in Chagang for a while, and then uh, my grandfather decided to go to um, go to Seoul, or I guess as um, your audience might be more used to hearing it, Seoul. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll say Seoul for the rest of it. Um, <laughs> the capital of South Korea. Yeah, well, at that point, it was just the capital of Korea. Yes. Yeah. He decided to go there while his brother stayed in uh, Hichun. And then 1945 came, and the, um, the U.S. and the Soviets decided to split, the, split Korea at the 38th parallel. It's actually a line. I, th- I think the line was originally drawn by the Japanese. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They, I didn't it was, know that. I thought it was the U.S. The U.S. just kind of 
like went along with it. It was like because a lot of like when the U.S. took over South Korea, they still kept like the Japanese laws intact and stuff. It was basically like, hey, you Japanese people know how to run this place. We're just gonna inherit all the stuff from you. But wasn't it like two U.S. guys who like sat in a room and basically like drew the straight line across the peninsula? Yeah, but the 38th parallel had been picked before by by the Japanese for a different purpose, for war purposes. Okay, like where's like like um in in the situation of fighting ended up there. It's like. I think the forces that were stationed in like Manchuria would be like north of the 38th and the others would be yeah. sent, yeah. And this border actually shifts as well. So um, I think a few people have seen like a couple of videos that I've done on Kaesong, which um, used, which is a, it's actually the ancient capital of the Korean peninsula. And it used to be um, in South Korea, which means that, um, I mean, it's now part of North Korea, that line kind of shifted. But back when it was in South Korea during the Korean War, it was saved um, a lot of bombing because it was part of South Korea. Um, During this war, like, a lot of North Korea was, like... I mean, you know, I don't know how much percentage of North Korea, but, like, most of it was flattened, um, which means All major cities were flattened. Yeah. Yeah. um, Which means that, like... I mean, I think that there's, like, one building left in Pyongyang that they're really, like, proud of, like, a couple of archways or something like that. Um... But Kaesong remain, like, retains a lot of its original architecture because it wasn't flattened during the war, which is really interesting because it actually has a lot more um, traditional stuff than South Korea does. Because in South Korea, in Seoul, um, you'll go to... What's that really famous place that tourists go to? The really old street. There is one place in Seoul that is well-known for its like traditional streets and stuff like that. But this street is basically like, you know, it's kind of been renovated and stuff like that. So it feels really fake it feels not you know not so traditional and stuff but in Kaesong you can walk around these alleyways and it you know it's kind of a shame like we were talking about the start it hasn't been renovated and it does retain that old kind of feel because they obviously haven't put the money into renovating it but in a way that does keep its charm as well you know these walls are crumbling and stuff like that it does keep the charm um, but anyway, that's Kaesong, so carry on. I interrupted. But that means there's an opportunity to renovate it in a way that stays faithful to, the, to like its original vibes. True. And I think, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't do a bad job in South Korea. Um, this area in South Korea does look very traditional. I mean, it's one of the... Fe- oh, we're getting the telpi out. Yeah, get that dried fish out. Um, <laughs> this area in, in Seoul is a place to go to. Like, it's a good place to go to. But I just feel that Kaesong feels a lot more natural. So we are now eating strips of dried fish. This podcast has taken a... Um, I mean, we're, yeah, we're we're almost an hour in, and we haven't really covered anything concrete. So <laughs> it's the time to get the dried fish out. We're spicy. <laughs> it is. So my grandfather ended up in Seoul, and then um, not too long after, and then at, at, after 1945, he lost contact with his brother, and um, and then the Korean War happened in 1950, and um, that's when my grandfather's brother. Um, his family, so he had um, he has he had a wife and two kids, who I met, but um, well, the two kids I met, my his yeah, their um, uh, Hichun got flattened by the U.S. and they ended up like hiding in a cave, and they were found by um the Chinese People's Volunteer Army, who were basically like, hey, um, you should go back to China. It's very dangerous over here, so they walked back, um. Took a few months, and they settled in Shenyang, which is in um, Liaoning province. 
And yeah, I visited my relatives in Shenyang. Um, this is Shenyang in China, by the way, just yeah. for those who don't know. And it, there's a lot of North Koreans there, actually. Yeah, I visited my relatives there and my aunt. So um, my grandfather's brother's daughter was telling me about how um, like they could only move at night because anything that moved during the day was probably get bombed by the U.S., mm. by the Air Force. Was They were trying to bomb the supply chain, supply lines to the front lines of um, the um, the Chinese People's Ar- People's um, Volunteer Army. So they had to move at night, and she saw people getting bombed. She had been, like, on the verge of starvation. And, yeah, it was a very difficult journey. And um, her her mother had um, bound feet because, I guess, they were from the Qing Dynasty. That was still a thing back then. So imagine just walking months in the cold because this was, like, in, like, in, like, after October, like, towards December... Like, yeah. from, like, October to, like, December. I think they got to um, Shenyang in, like, January or something like that. It gets cold. Like, we're talking, like, my, you know, it can get to, like, minus 15. You yeah. know, like, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, and she was, like, 10 back then or something like that. So she was a little kid, and she was, like, just carrying things on her back. Yeah, so it's, um... Eventually, that side of the family, um... I guess things opened up a little bit more. People in South Korea could get in contact with people on mainland China. So then um, that, part, that side of the family wanted to get in contact with our side of the family. And apparently the, um, the Chinese diaspora in Korea isn't too big and pretty good records were kept. So they found us and got in contact with us in the late 90s or early 2000s. And yeah, we stayed in contact. And in 2019, I went to Shenyang and visited. Um. And my dad grew up in South Korea. And back then, um, the law was if your father's not Korean, you're not Korean. And the only Chinese government they had um, re- um, diplomatic relations with was the one on Taipei. Yeah, that's how my it, how my dad um, got um, like basically a Taiwanese passport. Wow. And um, he was a citizen. The school he grew up, the school he attended was like for overseas Chinese, and they followed the same curriculum that was taught here in Taiwan. So he had the same education as my mom. Basically, my mom's Taiwanese, and um, yeah. And a lot of them ended up coming to Taiwan for university. Mm. My dad included. Because mm. they had... Um, and back then, the KMT was also really trying pretty desperately to win over overseas Chinese. And they understood the situation there. So they were like, okay, you get to... Um, we're going to set up schools. You're going to get our citizenship. You can have all these benefits. If you come here, you get like um, points added to your um, entrance exams. So... These yeah. sorts of these sorts of programs. So, in a system where the PRC, which is you know as we know as China, was maybe not so welcoming, um, then the ROC, which we know as Taiwan, was perhaps a little bit more welcoming to not full Han Chinese or you know. Well, it's not. It's not a matter of that. It was yeah. just because this like South Korea just only had diplomatic relations with. Right. Taipei. Right, right, right. Uh, that's that's really the only thing because if yeah. you want to talk about diversity, mainland China is much more diverse as far as um mm, like true. Han or non Han than over here. Like, yeah, the, the percentage of Han in Taiwan is much higher than on on the mainland actually. That's true, and I think like you you bring up an important point which I kind of mentioned as we were walking around before, but like um you know I I challenge our listeners right now to to um you know first answer the question like you know does your country recognize Taiwan as an independent country? Um, no countries do, because the ones that have diplomatic ties with Taipei recognize the Republic of China as the Chinese government. Yeah. It's just kind of an awkward system because it's like now you have a 
an administration that doesn't like these claims and they want to move a little bit more towards like separatism, but at the same time they operate under this existing framework. It's right. just a, it's a yeah. lot of. It's complicated. It's politics. We don't really talk about it here, but hey, it's interesting. And actually, there are some countries that do. I think there's only about ten countries that recognize um, Taiwan over China because. Um, and that's a very important point. You can only recognize one of them. Um, and I think the more time I spend in Taiwan, um, the more I kind of relate a lot of my time here to, um, you know, things that are going on on the Korean Peninsula. I find it very interesting. But um, it's it, that's obviously the history's a heavily tied. There's a lot yeah. more, like, there's a lot more than you would expect. Like the history of like the Korea, Korea and like cross-strait relations and even just history in Taiwan because like what we both have in common like Taiwan and Korea is we were both colonized with Japan Taiwan a little Mm. bit longer than Korea yeah yeah definitely um anything else on your family um not too not too much else that's um that's Korea related yeah I mean it's a very interesting story I don't mean to say like oh anything else like (laughs) your family story is so interesting so like thank you so much for sharing it with us and I think like it's super unique and it makes your DPRK experience so unique as well like there are so few people that visit North Korea anyway but there's so few people that like have these kind of like this kind of context um, upon which to understand the DPRK. So I find that super cool. Actually, both of my paternal grandparents have lived in what's now North Korea. Oh, that's super cool. I think my grandmother, my grandmother, so my grandmother, my paternal grandmother's Korean. Though because um, my dad faced a lot of discrimination in Korea as a kid for being um, Chinese, like he kind of denies it. He's like, "Uh, if you look at the family history, her family came from China 300 years ago. (laughs) She'll she'll try to cope that way. But yeah, she's Korean. She's Korean and... And um, she lived in Chongjin for a little bit when she was in her youth, I think. Yeah. Okay, so, Chongjin's in the northeast of North Korea. Yeah, so okay. um, it, it's kind of funny because in North Korea, I'll, I mean, I don't go in and just say, oh, yeah, I have this. I'll just say everything. But it's like as I get to know my guy, it's like better. Uh-huh. And if it gets brought up, oh. like one thing leads to another, I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know what? Actually, um, my grandmother lived in Chongjin for a little bit. And I'm like, wait, mm. your, your grandmother lived in Chongjin? But I thought you were Chinese. And I'm just like... Well, my grandmother's Korean. How many in And then, like, it's so funny because at that point they're like, "Oh, you're we're a little bit closer than we thought," and they start treating me a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you. I mean, they're already nice to me, but then after I mentioned that, and like, mm. I guess because I know how to like talk to them, and I I understand their sensitivities and whatever. Like my guide and Rasun, he said, um, "I feel like you have a very genuine." emotional connection mm. to Korea. Mm. That's what he told me. Mm. So that, that meant a lot to me because it was yeah. like, I mean, I wasn't there trying to like be like a pick me or anything, but yeah. it's like what he said is correct. Like there is this sort of emotional connection because it's mm. part of my roots. And, yeah. uh, you know, I feel really lucky that I got to connect with my part of the family that, that got separated mm. because of the war. I, I just think so many people in Korea never have this opportunity. That's so true. Yeah. And it's it's a true tragedy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of the time through Western media and stuff, we see North Korea and, the you know, the Korean issue and stuff like that through the eyes of the media lens where we're kind of seeing it, you know, it's a crisis, but it's a national, secu- it's an international security crisis. It's not a crisis of the North Korean and South Korean people, the Korean people who have been separated for 
you know, several, for decades, just for living on the wrong side of the border, just even a, a few miles away from each other and never able to see family again. And, you know, the true tragedy in this is that um, as time moves on, a lot of people are dying out and these, um, you know, with time, these emotional connections also die out as well. Okay, so we kind of tried to talk about your music video. <laughs> I'm going to go back to it for like the yeah, yeah, yeah. fourth time, whatever. How, okay, tell me the background. I want to, I want to, where did you film it and why? Asked you that before, but oh, yeah, uh, okay, let's get so back to it. So. <laughs> I, tried to fi- I tried to film it all over, but then I, right. I, I succumbed to food poisoning, so most of it right. was shot in Pyongyang. That was where this yeah. half an hour of conversation yeah. went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most of it was in Pyongyang. It was just done on a selfie stick, just wherever I could. Mm. Just, I mean, I just wanted it to like kind of look cool. Like part of it was like in front of the Chuchi Tower, which is like which overlooks the Terong River. Mm. Some of it was on. Um, uh, uh, Kim Il-sung Square which is right across from the Chuchi Tower on the other side of the Taedong River and I always just thought I didn't ask for permission per se mm. but I, my, my idea was just if anyone stopped me I would have just complied right. but nobody did anything mm. I got some funny looks from passersby but I feel like if I did the same thing over here or anywhere else I'd probably oh get funny gosh. looks as well I would give you funny looks like what are you doing <laughs> And how does one film a, a, a music video, like a genuinely from, a, you know, a, a perspective of someone who's never filmed a, a music video? What do you do? You just like lip sync into the camera, like in front of fun things? Like, yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, I mean, if you if, if you have like a professional shoot, then you actually work with like a director okay, and like yeah. set designers and all that. And then you spend like three hours getting the lighting perfect. Those are like, you know, actual proper music videos. Which I did for the first time um, in 2022. It's coming out soon. Mm. Two of them so far. But if you're like... What I did was just selfie stick. And a lot of like underground music videos are just done, you know, like friends getting together, having Mm. fun. You have a camera, you lip sync, and then everything else is done in post. Cool. So, um, on topic of music, um, I'm really interested, like, obviously we haven't got much time left um, because we have just been blabbering along, but I do want to chat about DPRK music a little bit because um, it's such a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, Why is it a guilty pleasure? It's just a good pleasure. (laughs) It is, but, uh, you know, it's a guilty pleasure for two reasons. Okay, number one... Okay, weird people how I am (laughs) in. Well, number one, it's a guilty pleasure because I feel like it's the same as, like, whenever you listen to, like, Disney music. Like, North Korean music, in, you know, the simplest of terms, is, like, listening to Disney music because it's cheery, it's happy, it's got those melodies that you can, like, you know, simple melodies that you can sing along with, that you can learn the lyrics for very simply. Um, and so in that respect, I feel like, you know, it's quite similar. So it's embarrassing to listen to Disney music, which, you know, I do a lot of the time anyway. Um, and it's also my guilty pleasure because, hey, um, it's um, North Korean music. If you understand the lyrics, it's even more propaganda than if you don't understand the lyrics because um, they are all mainly political songs. However, my favorite song, Let the Snow Fall on New Year's Day. Oh, that's a good one. great song um nothing titled politically so yeah that's a great song but it, yeah, it remains a guilty pleasure and i do find it and it, and it in a weird way one of my favorite things to do is i find myself in the most bizarre situations that are actually really mundane situations but 
I will find myself, you know, in the middle of a beach in the South Pacific, or I will find myself on the middle of a random military island in Taiwan, and I will decide, hey, now is the time that I'm going to blast some North Korean tunes, and I'm just like... I'm sat there in my car or with my earphones on or whatever, and I'm like, no one in the world has ever listened to this song where I am sat right now. I probably have. <laughs> what, you've been in the middle of the South Pacific? On well, a not in the South Pacific, <laughs> but like some random place in Taiwan. Okay, if I've yeah. been there, I've probably listened to DPR K-pop over there. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so we are one of the maybe two people in the world that has ever done that, but um, I really enjoy doing that. So... Um, you know, do, what DPRK listen? What DPRK music do you listen to? Do you have any recommendations as a musician yourself? Do you have any recommendations for our listeners on like how to get started if they were interested in DPRK music? How and also how they can like can someone listen to it without? you know, it being a form of propaganda. Like, are you going to get brainwashed if you listen to North Korean music? Um, um as far as where to begin. Everyone has different tastes, so I really can't give specifics as to where to begin. But if you search North Korean music on YouTube and just check many songs out, chances are you'll find something that you vibe with. And as far as propaganda goes, I will say that all art has a layer of propaganda in it, whether if it's conscious or not. If you listen to songs that promote decadence or nihilism like isn't that propaganda and we see a lot of that in songs we don't think of as propaganda because hmm. like you know young teenagers they listen to songs about like drugs or whatever and like when they're younger they they're taught in school that these things are bad but then they listen to these music and they're these songs and they're like oh wait but these artists make it make it seem so cool maybe it's not bad isn't that a form of propaganda hmm. it's changing they're shifting the way you think right yeah e- even music that's not like inherently propaganda it affects the way you feel you listen to say like beethoven's fifth symphony don't you feel a certain way probably right it's like a it's a it's a it's a powerful song i mean the fact that if you don't understand korean it's not really gonna um affect you too much in terms of how you think but i I really like um how a lot of the songs have um even the propaganda songs like um what is it the advance of socialism you know that one if you sing it, I will Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one. Yeah, it's a like, it's a, it's, a, it's about, like, um, it's, it's this sort of, like, optimism about, hey, we're going to build a better future. We're going to build a better society. And even some of their songs, like, um, Pieces on the Bayonet. You know that one? Uh, sing it for me. Like, um... It's like you can feel like um, they're expressing the pain that they as a country have felt Mm. in the past, like having all their cities bombed. They don't say it explicitly, but that's what they're talking about. Mm. And it's like, but they're not really asking for pity. It's more like, hey, we don't want that to ever happen again. Mm. So we are upping our defenses that way we can secure peace whether or not you agree with it is one thing but it's it's a form of positivity because like nowadays like especially like in the west there is a sort of culture of just like seeking pity Mm, yes i find that so much in the uk yes yes, yeah and like that's just like the polar opposite it's like a different attitude so even you don't have to agree with it politically but it's like through that music you can understand their attitudes about certain things 
which is, um, I think it's it's very valuable. That's very true. So you find um, listening to North Korean music a kind of gateway to understanding a little bit more about this country that is, you know, so apparently closed off and stuff. And it's, if you know a few songs, like, it's just one thing to talk about with locals. And, like, if you don't, um, if you can sing a few, even if you don't speak Korean, it's a way to bond with locals in a way. It was like, it's... Uh. Yeah. What is it? Like food, drink, music? Oh, yeah. That's how you bond with... It's uni- universal languages. It's totally universal languages. And that goes from... I don't know if anyone's seen the um, Michael Palin in North Korea documentary. That is a great documentary and shows Michael Palin, um, who's a, a famous British actor. Um, he visits North Korea on May Day. And, um, you know, he just spends a lot of the time um, kind of having barbecue, drinking with the locals and stuff like that. It's just a, such a pure experience. And I can relate to it so much because that happens every single time to me on a national holiday. You know, I am chilling, singing with the locals. I actually have a really embarrassing video on like YouTube and maybe some other channels um, of me singing where I literally crash. Like, this is one of those things where I'm like, how is it fake? Like, I literally crash a party, like a karaoke party of some drunk North Koreans in the park where, like, we just end up going there in order to have barbecue. And, like, my guides get annoyed with me. They're like, Zoe, can you come and, like, organize the group, please, and, like, actually do your job? And I'm like, hold on, just give me, like, two minutes. And I just, like, go, I run up the hill because I can hear my, like, favorite song playing at this karaoke group. (laughs) And they're, like, just drinking and dancing and stuff. And I'm like, I have something I need to do, some important business. I just go and, like, start singing with them. Um, And, you know, music really connects you. And I think without knowing a lot of North Korean music, um, I wouldn't have had half of the experiences that I know. And therefore, I always make sure... You know, in my tour bag, whilst I am on tour, it's very important to have things like the first aid kit, you know, a list of names, because I'm definitely going to forget your name. Um, But more importantly, I have my song lyrics and I have my mic. I literally have a portable mic and I will make you learn those songs and we will sing them on the bus and we will have a lot of fun because music brings us all together. It is universal. It is very human. It's beautiful. Is your favorite song on Karira (sighs) Pektusanro? I hate to say it, but yeah, like I feel like it's Face every, it. yeah, it's every Westerner's favorite song. And but it is I heard it song. everywhere when I went in 2018. It was just everywhere. Like by day four, yeah, I'd be singing it in the shower. Yeah, my my other favorite song would be um, the Mass Game song for 2018, which you probably heard because you were also there. I was there, but what? Which, it's like the song? official Mass Game song. <laughs> That would probably be my favorite song if I had to say a favorite song or Let the Snow Fall on New Year's Day because I had such a magical experience where I swear this literally happened in New Year's on 2019. It was like, if anyone says anything is fake about North Korea, I literally was like, this is fake. This is not real because 10 minutes before midnight, I was standing in the middle of a crowd in Pyongyang and there were like random North Korean students all around me singing and like we were like forming like a conga line. It was all getting a bit crazy. Um, And then just as the New Year's countdown started, and honestly, just as this song started, like, it literally started to snow. And, like, it was one of those things where I was like, well, this is a snow machine. It's not really real. 
news outlets, they were also baffled by this because they could not find the snow machine. And then it stopped. It like snowed for like five minutes and then it stopped. Literally just during that song. Yeah. I think one of my favorite songs. I don't have a exa- I don't have a particular favorite, but I think it's um Charlie Ma on the Wing. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I like the I like the break in the middle, like without the lyrics. Like. many synths in North Korean music. <laughs> no one beats them at using them. Yeah, really. Very few people are better than North Koreans at making music. You have to admit it. Would you ever think about using North Korean music, like remixing it into your own? Of music? course, yeah. I've, I've tried sampling it, but I'm not the best beat maker. But, um, mm. you know, like in hip hop, if you try to sample, you usually take like a smaller segment or like a few segments and string them together. But it's like, man, I like this whole passage. How do I, how do I pick uh, just one part? Uh, it becomes very difficult. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to kind of talk about? Not that I can think of. Okay. Because we're going to be doing this sort of stuff like a little bit more in the future. Yeah, exactly. I already have some topics that we need to still speak about. So we have kind of darted here, there, and everywhere. And um, there's lots of ginseng, random soju stuff still flowing everywhere. So I hope everyone has kept up so far. We're going to kind of leave things here for now, but there are so many things that I actually still want to discuss with you, Shangyu. So we'll have to kind of um, pick things back up uh, where we left off. And I don't necessarily mean that with the soju and the ginseng weird stuff. Um, But before we go, like, I kind of want to, um, you know, you've been active in the DPRK world for maybe longer than me, actually, and you've got a, your fingers in a lot of pies. Like, maybe you want to talk about, like, I don't know, if you're active, like, what what kind of fingers you have in what kind of pies. And also, you know, this is your time for a bit of self-promo. Where can people find you, and why would people want to find you? Let us know. <laughs> um. Well, my main social media Twitter has um, been suspended. I'm trying to get my account back. Hopefully I get it back. But my handle was at not Xiangyu, so N-O-T-X-I-N-G-Y-U, because I've been banned before then. Like, before <laughs> that, that was, like, my third account. Hey, this episode is coming out in, like, a few weeks, so fingers crossed it is out by this point. Probably not. I'm not too <laughs> optimistic. But uh, my Instagram is xiangyu.twxiangyu.tw, and my YouTube channel is uh, at... Zhongxiangyu, Z-H-O-N-G-X-I-A-N-G-Y-U. But most of the stuff there is like a few years old. My um, my upcoming music videos will be uploaded there though. So um, maybe by the time this is out, my newest video will already be out. And there's another one that will follow shortly after. And I'm currently working on my album. So if you want to support that, if you just follow me on anywhere, like on Instagram or my YouTube, then you'll have more information on it. And if you want to support, buy a physical copy or listen to it on um, streaming services, then you'll the relevant information will become available as um, the time approaches. Cool. I mean, I'm genuinely really excited about that. Um, and are you working on any DPRK related projects at the moment, or you have any intentions to go back and visit the DPRK at some point? I can't leave Taiwan until I am done with my um, compulsory service. Mm. So um, even if they, I'm gonna have so much FOMO if 
like I'm still doing my service and you go back. <laughs> so that's for those that don't know, that's like the kind of um, military service in Taiwan. Every male needs to do that before the age of 36. Before the age of 36, just like in South Korea as well, it kind of got um, a lot of media attention from BTS having to do their military service. <laughs> it's the same thing in Taiwan. Although obviously our guest here, Shang Yu, is much bigger than BTS. So I don't know why you had to go to do that. <laughs> Where the <laughs> people go, I go. Oh, okay. Is that the title of your next album? No. <laughs> I do have a title, but I'll announce it a little bit later. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Cool. You all good? You said yeah. your, your stuff? I said all my stuff. All right. So there's this part where we sing. It's been a long time since I've said that. I used to have one guide who used to sing that to me every single time. It's made me think of him a lot. Oh, beautiful. Anyway, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. And actually, I shouldn't really say part of this podcast or a guest of this podcast, because let's be honest, you set up this whole thing today. That's why the sound quality is probably a lot better than usual and um, and set up. Yeah. And were you the main topic of today? So thank you so much for um, making this episode possible. And thank you to the listeners for joining in. Um, do tune in next time where, you know, to be honest, I have no idea what the next episode is going to be because I record these episodes a little bit in advance, especially when I have guests. But I promise you it's going to be an interesting one. I try and keep them as um, as fun and unique as possible. So thank you for joining in. And um, just one last time, my social media handle, handles are at Zoe Discovers or at Zoe Discovers NK and Shang Yu, yours are? My Instagram is at ShangYu.tw. My Twitter is at not Shang Yu. And my YouTube is at um, Z-H-O-N-G-X-I-A-N-G-Y-U. And I guess um, one thing that we're both doing is we're going to appear on my friend's podcast, Silk and Steel Podcast. Yes. Hosted by um, Carl Zah. I don't know. Some of you guys might have heard of him. Many of you guys probably not. So it's pretty interesting. He's a walking encyclopedia on um, mostly um, Chinese history and Chinese current events, but also, you know, things in the vicinity yeah, who knows? But, you know, who knows how quickly he edits his um, his recordings, but potentially that one could uh, could come out before this one does. But also we do have some exciting videos, at least one exciting video together planned as well. I don't know how much we want to give away on that. But for those foodies out there, it could be quite a fun one. Yes. Yes. So, I think um, you gave gave enough of it away exactly yeah i think that's enough of a teaser so basically make sure to follow both of us on social media and we will see you hear from you very soon if you have any questions if you have any guest recommendations if you have any comments if you really like this podcast if you really don't like this podcast then just let me know you can also contact me on zoediscovers at gmail.com thank you very much i've been zoe and we've had shang yu on as a guest and i will see you or hear you next time thank you Goodbye.
践踏，久了导致人们价值观变得偏差，怀疑充满奸诈的社会到底能否发生正面的变化？辩证的视野早已没了，讨厌整个世界似乎成为美乐，自以为在反抗规则，但事实上只是把自己给毁了。是些低落对自己疑惑，因为不断被反抗势力迷惑。Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.